Welcome once again to Lato's Law. Here's Steve Lato. Every now and then we hear about an exoneration, somebody who was found guilty of a crime, possibly spent time in prison, possibly still in prison, and the courts say, you know something, that was wrong, we're going to let you go, you didn't do it, we're sorry. And by the way, the word sorry is very, very rare, but occasionally, occasionally gets said. But here's another story, John sent it to me from the Oregonian. Federal Appeals Court affirms Frank Gable's release, dismissal of Oregon murder conviction. Federal Appeals Court Thursday affirmed an Oregon judge's decision to release Frank Gable and vacate his conviction in the 1989 murder of Oregon Corrections Director Michael Frankie. Maxine Bernstein wrote this article. It's a great article. Uh, But 1989. So I often put these things in perspective to remember where I was in my life. And in 1989, I was actually just starting law school. Uh, So that was a while ago. No reasonable juror would have convicted Gable in light of another man's multiple confessions to the killing that were excluded from Gable's trial and the recantations since the trial by nearly all witnesses in the case. That's according to three-judge panel, the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. So it turns out that somebody else had confessed to the crime. And that didn't make it into the case somehow. The jury never heard that. Court wrote, the facts on appeal are extraordinary. In the 30 years since trial, nearly all the witnesses who incriminated Gable have recanted. In short, no reasonable juror could ignore the heavy blow to the state's evidence given the significance of the recantations. The affidavits show how undisputed investigative misconduct paved the way for a string of criminal associates to turn on Gable to help themselves. So the idea that witnesses later change their stories, that can happen. And we hear about that all the time. But you always got to look at somebody who changes their story and go, okay, previously you said this, now you're saying the exact opposite. Which is it? Because one of those statements being untrue would mean you might have a problem with telling the truth. But there are occasions where someone comes forward and says, look, here's why I lied. And then you hear it and you go, oh, that makes sense. So a U.S. magistrate judge back in 2019 ordered Gable's release or a retrial, partly citing a record of improper interrogation and flawed polygraphs used to question the witnesses and to shape their statements to the police. Uh, On June 28th of that year, Gable walked out of the Lansing Correctional Facility in Kansas where he'd been held uh, after serving nearly 30 years of a life sentence without the possibility of parole in the killing of the man in Salem. Frankie, that's the victim, was the director of the Oregon Department of Corrections when he was attacked during a confrontation near his state-issued car outside of uh, the agency's headquarters. Now, this is a remarkable turnaround involving one of the most publicized and debated murder cases in Oregon's modern history. Gable is now 63. He spent almost half his life in prison, and he's been on federal supervision since he got released, living with his wife in Kansas as the state's appeal of this decision has been pending. Now, Gable was a local drug dealer. He was arrested 15 months after the murder, when another man said he saw that murder take place. The state argued at trial that the victim interrupted Gable as Gable was breaking into the victim's car to get snitch papers, drawing from the grand jury statement of one witness. The trial jury found Gable guilty of aggravated murder and he was sentenced in 1991. 
Meanwhile, a Salem man who was on parole for a robbery at the time repeatedly said he had killed Frankie. He told numerous law enforcement officers, as well as his mother, brother, and girlfriend, that he had murdered Frankie when Frankie caught him burglarizing the car. The Ninth Circuit found that the exclusion of those confessions from the trial was wrong and violated Gable's due process rights. So that's crazy. The three judges who heard the appeal uh, issued a 30-page opinion detailing all of this. Now, the state, in its appeal, argued that Gable and his lawyers failed to meet the legal threshold for showing that Gable didn't commit (laughs) the murder. They're kind of overlooking the fact that somebody else confessed repeatedly and that was kept out. Oregon Assistant Attorney General Benjamin Gutman said Gable hadn't produced any new trustworthy eyewitness accounts or critical physical evidence to undercut his conviction and that the confessions by the other man were unreliable and appropriately excluded at a trial. Well, to exclude them from the trial, you have to wonder about, why don't you let them in and let the jury decide? Wouldn't it be up to the jury to decide how reliable the multiple confessions were? The appeals court found otherwise, concluding that the man's confessions appeared strikingly reliable, were corroborated by other evidence, including facts that only a participant in the crime would know, and that the confessions would have been critical to Gable's defense. The ruling laid out a chain of events involving the other man's confessions. A few weeks after the killing, in February of 89, uh, that man told his parole officer, unprompted, that he had information about the death. Initially, he said he'd witnessed it. The man then claimed he'd been paid to kill Frankie. But according to the appeals court, his most detailed and compelling confession came in April of 89. According to uh, Kraus, that's the man who confessed, he was walking by the building when he decided to break into a car, and the victim caught him in the act and tried to detain him, and uh, they got in a fight, and it wound up with the victim dying. Critically, Kraus, that's the guy who confessed, included key details that were consistent with the evidence, but not yet public, like the number of wounds that the victim suffered. He claimed he stabbed the victim three times. Kraus also admitted he was wearing a tan jacket, which matched the description by a witness of the coat worn by the alleged fleeing assailant. Uh, The man repeated his confession three more times to family members in the presence of police, including on a recorded call to his brother and an in-person confession to his girlfriend. Now, he later recanted his statements uh, and disavowed his prior confessions after the state offered him immunity from prosecution. The fact that Krauss confessed without immunity and overwhelmingly against his own penal interest is a strong indicator of reliability. And what they're talking about is people say stuff. People say stuff all the time. I remember when I was a little kid, I knew little kids who just made stuff up. They would just say stuff, just say stuff, because there were no ramifications for them to make up stories. As you get older, you realize that you can still make up stuff, but some stuff you don't make up. So if I were to come up to you today and I meet you on the street, and, hey, Steve, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How you feeling? You know, last week I had the flu. Did I have the flu last week? Who knows? Who cares? I just made that up. But you walk up to me, hey, Steve, how you doing? Pretty good. What's going on, man? I, I, I stabbed a guy yesterday. Now, huh? 
you realize the difference between those two statements. I had the flu last week is a meaningless statement because in most contexts, in most contexts, it has absolutely no ramifications for anything other than its conversation starter. On the other hand, if I go, yeah, I stabbed a guy last week. Well, that's the kind of statement that can get you in trouble. And it's often referred to as a declaration against interest, or it's also an admission where you're saying that you did something. And um, they, were, they were talking here about the fact that it's against his own penal interest, meaning that you can be punished for it. So you don't admit the things that will get you in trouble as easily as you'd admit the things that have no ramifications. So when somebody confesses to a crime, you've got to look at it and go, wow. That's not something the average person would just throw out as conversation starter. Meanwhile, a spokesperson for the Oregon Department of Justice said the office is reviewing the appeals court decision because obviously they want to, they can appeal this. Assistant Federal Defender Nell Brown, who represented Gable and was lead attorney on the case, said she's incredibly happy for her client. Although he'll never get back the three decades of his life that he lost, this decision vindicates a steadfast claim of innocence and powerfully exposes the systemic flaws that led to his wrongful conviction. The Ninth Circuit makes clear that, with the full story told, no reasonable jury would convict him. I'm proud of our exceptional and dedicated federal public defender team for doing the work to tell the story. She says that she hopes Gable will finally be able to enjoy the life he's created for himself in the community without this case hanging over him. So, unfortunately, this means that Right now, there's nobody in prison for the murder. And the older brother of the victim, uh, along with other people, have been staunch defenders uh, who have been saying that they believe that Gable did it, but that, of course, is what they were told, and they saw the trial, and he's convicted. So one of them says, Oregon has no case. Unsolved mystery again. So it's a crazy story because, generally speaking... When you are defending somebody in a criminal case, you get access to everything the state's got, that the prosecution is going to put in against you, and they have to give you even the stuff that doesn't go their way. So when they're prosecuting your guy, and you're going through the file, and you go, wait, someone else has confessed to this killing? Now, you don't have to believe everything you read, nor do you have to believe everything that you hear. But the fact that someone else has confessed to this killing would be something that you think the jury should hear. So if the judge kept it out, I would love to know the rationale behind that because the implication is that the court said, well, it's, it's not really reliable testimony. But when you start talking about how reliable testimony is, that usually comes down to something that's given to the jury to decide. So you will often have cases, and this happens a lot, where a witness for one side gets up and says something. A witness for the other side gets up and says the exact opposite. And they are diametrically opposed, and they cannot both be true. So let's, let's just pick one and say, um, somebody ran into a building and did something and ran out. Witness one says it happened on Monday. Witness 2 says it happened on Friday. Let's suppose that matters. Monday would be a problem. Friday, no problem. It wasn't Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And one witness says Monday. One witness says Friday. The judge doesn't pick a winner. 
The judge lets all of this get into evidence and lets the jury decide, which makes sense. So the jury, we often refer to as the fact finder. They find facts. They dig through the information and they, and they decide on facts. Because by their very nature, trials involve a lot of information that's conflicting. And getting it to reconcile sometimes requires them to say, okay, we think that person is wrong. They might be mistaken. They could be lying. They could be crazy. Don't know. It doesn't matter. They're wrong. So when you hear that some guy confessed a bunch of times to a murder, to his mother, to his girlfriend, you go, wait, who would do that? Now, yes, he could be lying. He could be crazy. He could be telling the truth. And is that for the judge to decide or for the jury to decide? So I personally would have liked to see a jury pick a winner on that one. But that's not what happened. So the man got convicted, spent 30 years in prison. And now on review that they've gone through this. And meanwhile, they've also gone back and spoken to witnesses. And that part's not as fleshed out in this story. But it looks like many of the witnesses have recanted. And that often happens where somebody will say, you know, 20 years ago, the police asked me what I saw. I told them. And after being interviewed a bunch of times, they wanted me to say I saw a guy with a tan jacket. I'm not saying that's what happened here, but I'm saying that's one of the things you hear. And or or they showed me one photograph and said, is this the guy you saw? And you say, yeah, that's the guy. And later on, they put six photographs on the table and say, do you see the guy that you saw in this group of photographs? Yeah, right there. It's the photograph you showed me earlier. <laughs> I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that can happen. And the strange part is that a lot of people, when asked by the police to testify, say, well, it's my duty as a citizen. I saw something. I'm going to testify. But many people also feel a bit of a duty to kind of testify the way the police want them to testify. And there are countless examples of that, where witnesses have said, well, I told them I saw this, but they said, Aren't you sh- are you sure you didn't see this? How about this? How about this? You know, And so all kinds of stuff happens, but it appears that a lot of the witnesses have also recanted. But the fact that there was somebody who confessed to this repeatedly and that was not shown to the jury does seem to be a problem. So, like I said, Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals has said this man should be let out of jail. He was already out because the lower court had ruled that way already. Uh, Obviously, they could appeal this to the U.S. Supreme Court, who may or may not hear it. But that looks like this will probably be the end of it, I had to guess. So Federal Appeals Court affirms Frank Gable's release, dismissal of Oregon murder conviction. Maxine Bernstein wrote that for The Oregonian. And John sent me, thanks a lot. Questions or comments, put them below. Let's talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching Leto's Law. It does not matter how slowly you go as long as you do not stop.